In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. You and it's the wind-up. It's Monday. I missed this last week, and so did you. We had so much going on. How I are you know. feeling? I'm so wound up right now. You can <laughs> even hear me going, wee, 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 wee. That's the wound-up noise. The amount of different things that try and pull together when there are various good bods either on holiday or just off in general is a Herculean task, but thanks to everybody who reached out and said, where's the pods, A? Eh? Because I'd love to put them together, so I thought, why not get you and have a little conversation? All sorts of things going on. We've got the wind-up podcast. We're going to be recording the main podcast for the main uh, part of the week as well. And if I can grab Julian Egg Gill himself, we'll do an entitled banter pod on Friday as well. Um, funnily enough, by the time this is going to go out today on the Monday, but by the time the main podcast goes out, I'll be down at Rich Hudson's little wedding with Jules's little face right in front of me again. Oh, it's going to be a nice little time. It's going to be a lovely time. I'm hoping it's nice. I hope you haven't grabbed them and just forced them to record a podcast there and then. But <laughs> you might not want to on his wedding. Just adjuring the vows. Yeah. Just, just Can you just say that in this direction? And my so vow, can... my first vow is to do more content for Scott Taylor. <laughs> it's about time. But yes, a massive thank you, like I said, to everybody who got in touch. I love doing the podcast. It's only a, the rarest of occasions that we can't bring them together, um, but it's only when many other things are going on. I will say that there is a Mortal Kombat 1 uh, competition giveaway going on. That was one of the many things that got sorted last week, but you can go enter over on the channel. You can win the Mortal Kombat 1 Collector's Edition. It's a very nice collection of stuff with a really it's cool a good, statue. It's a good deal, folks. I take that deal every time. I think it's a nice little deal. Um, speaking of nice little things, we're just going to cover all the latest talking points, conversations going on in the industry um, as we do for the wind-up. So, loads of stuff happening with The Last of Us 2 right now. Stuff breaking about The Last of Us 2 remaster, which I have to assume will be like The Last of Us Part 1 that we got last year, where it all gets overhauled. But a lot of the conversation around that was like, hey, they're just bringing it in line with Last of Us 2. Calm down, everyone. Don't worry about it. It's just a quality of life improvement. And I guess there's that argument, I guess. But at the same time... Um this Last of Us 2 remaster comes from a Naughty Dog artist, an outsource artist, uh, listing it on their LinkedIn CV, um, and also a composer, Gustavo Santalasha, mentioning it a good couple of months ago that he was doing work for a new version of the game, which seems to be the, whatever the hell this remake thing is. Thoughts on bringing a game back from 2020? Wait, is that... So Remake or remaster? Well, that's the thing. We don't know. We know there's a new version, and we know that um, on the uh, LinkedIn CV, they mentioned um, working on the new version of The Last of Us 2. Surely it's got to be... Like, it's it's one of those where it's a no-brainer for it to be a remaster. It'd be t- the, the, the resources to expend in fully remaking that game would be redonkulous. I do remember <laughs> the other year that people were kind of concerned over the... Because the, I think the rumor initially was that they might be 
I know the word remake has been mm. used. The only, only remaster is what's on the LinkedIn. Remaster, there. Okay, just double check that. Because yeah. like I know that a lot of people have like the definition between remake and remaster. People need to get that locked down because oh, it causes so much consternation online. <laughs> and it, it makes perfect sense to me. You know, it, I keep on. I sometimes forget that the Last of Us Part Two was a tail end of the previous generation cycle, and most yeah. of those that came on with you know the beginning of the PlayStation 5. And obviously, it looks great and runs great on the PS5. But you know what? It might as well, if you've got a situation, you don't want the weird situation where you've got a, a remake of The Last of Us that is running at a technical level that is better than Last of Us, you mm-hmm. know, part two. You, you want those things to have parity with each other, mm-hmm. <coughs> Rockstar games and Red Dead <laughs> Redemption 2. So yeah, it makes perfect sense to me. I'm, I would be curious about the um the, the price at entry point <laughs> that's yeah that's the thing i don't think it's fair to charge for that level of an upgrade because i don't see how i think people what they want the performance mode right they want they want the different graphical options there mm-hmm. beyond that i'm i'm well, yeah the thing is that we yeah that distinction of remaster remake obviously over the years you can point to things like the shadow of the colossus actual remake from the ground up remake you can argue I mean, it pretty much is. Last of Us Part 1 is a remake. Like, a lot of those assets were overhauled, and um, some of the general physics and the gameplay and stuff tightened up, etc. For Last of Us Part 2's version, um, remaster is mentioned here, but The Last of Us 2, if you play the PS4 version on PS5, that unlocks the frame rate and frees a whole bunch of stuff up anyway. So you've kind of got a de facto remaster anyway. So they, they need to do something to it. It's going to be the ray tracing, isn't it? It makes Maybe. me think of, like, you know, when Rockstar did the GTA 5 upgrade, which, mm. you know, if you've never played GTA 5 before... Like it's a great time. Is yeah, it, it, like yeah. the, what they did there? You can get you know performance, performance ray tracing, or you know ray tracing on in GTA Online and GTA single player. For for what it is, it's actually a really good like mm. upgrade. The price point was just thoroughly bizarre. Mm-hmm. So I think you know it's going to come down to whether or not people are happy with their current version. The Last of Us. I think overall, if you're looking at this from a business perspective. You want everything to be on parity. Um, well, the thing is, like, there's all the stuff going on in the wider sort of Sony sphere with Jim Ryan stepping down, or he's going to be stepping down next year. I have to imagine the amount of ideas, project ideas, wider marketing ideas that were greenlit by him, because um, they all came in quick succession. Like the idea of the PlayStation Studio stuff, remastering slash remaking all these, uh, you know, the games from the last few years. We know there's a Horizon Zero Dawn remake coming. Oh, or what same God, same yeah. weird blur of things? Is it a remaster or remake? How much work's being done on that? But it's coming alongside um, the Horizon TV show. So it's like you can see the overall push for big brand thing has the game tie-in, like Last of Us Part 1 did with the Last of Us TV show. And so it's one of those things where I don't know, because Jim Ryan is now stepping back or stepping down, how much does that wider attempt to mine more money out of these properties, does that go away? Or is he just set a new standard where we're going to get something every sort of two or three years because there is a graphical benchmark or something? Oh, God, I think... I think it's one of those where in my brain, I think you would, I don't think you needed to remake The Last of Us Part 1. No. I don't think you'd necessarily need to remaster The Last of Us Part 2. However, because you have remade Part 1, it makes sense for the sequel to be on a similar footing with that game. As for like longer term, like strategic implications of this, I'd be relieved if PlayStation shifted away from this, like in going back and and revisiting stuff. Although I would, you know, I, I think a, a Horizon remake is egregious. I think that's like yeah. absolutely ridiculous <laughs> given what that game came out in 2017. So yeah, no, that is just pure shocking. People want new experiences. They want mm. new games. Those resources that you're putting into, and the rumor has been a full remake, right? 
Well, well, that's the thing. It's, yeah. it's, it occupies the same space as The yeah. Last of Us one. It's, it's whatever these things are. Because yeah. like, a few years ago, we had them attempt. It was in 2020. They tried the director's cut versions of these games, which were some frame rate editions, but mostly glorified DLC. And then now we're getting whatever the part one, whatever you want to call last year's Last of Us thing, um, quasi. It's more, more of a remake than a remaster, if we're thinking of just resolutions and frame rates. And then whatever that process is, assumedly, will be applied to Horizon Stuff like that. This <laughs> is weird because Last of Us Part Two, being from 2020, is Last of Us Part One mostly looks the same as that. It was about upgrading 2013's assets to get more in line with that. So I don't know what you can do with Last of Us Part Two. It already looks gorgeous anyway. Yeah, I think I think it just comes down to you know I, them. You want. I understand it. I understand because remaking part one and having part two, maybe, you know, it's on the same level or anything. You kind of want to make sure it's the true next-gen experience yeah. or whatever, or the current-gen experience. Mm-hmm. The thing in my brain is, like, I really hope that the resources being expended on these projects aren't taking away from new experiences that mm-hmm. we're all after. You know, we talked about, like, generational identity on different consoles and stuff. And mm-hmm. it's like, well, okay, The Last of Us is such a PS3, PS4 type thing now. Oh, yeah. Like, Naughty Dog should be looking at the next thing. And obviously, you know, we'll get into it later on about mm-hmm. the other Last of Us project that is seemingly no longer happening. But yep. it's a case of, you know, people want fresher experiences. And I get, like, wanting to have your, your whole thing being in parity or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just think it's kind of redundant. We should, we should be comfortable with letting games age and revisiting those games. Like, in my brain, I was talking to my mates the other day about the, the Assassin's Creed Black Flag remake, which I think has been r- rumored. Or yeah, we're in, we're in rumored leak territory like, for that. Again, you can play that game on PlayStation 5 right now. And it holds up really well graphically, mm-hmm. gameplay-wise, what have you. Um, but I know that some people will be like, oh, I'd be down for a remake of Black Flag. But in my brain, <laughs> I'm like, well, why not just do a sequel, do something new with that premise? It just mm-hmm. comes ac- across as a bit safe and unadventurous. That's the thing. I, I'm really curious. I need to talk to more game devs about this. But I'm curious. Like, in the likes of Horizon, you make Forbidden West, you upgrade the likes of the Aloy, char- Aloy character model, and you change all these different assets in regards to the environment and the water and the physics, some of the physics models and things like that, and some of the um, enemy designs and everything. It's almost like a why not thing, potentially, on if you're just doing some, um, you know, a business maneuver of like, well, why not put that stuff back into the original? How much carries back over? Um, is that an easy thing to do? And can we then charge seventy pounds for it or whatever? And you can kind of see the potential business reality of that. Um, but it's, it's it is kind of case by case, and how much are you going in and changing the guts of something? It's interesting as well because I imagine that they're banking on a lot of people coming into these remakes slash remasters as being first time, like mm. it's their entry point into these games. Maybe I'm curious to see how that that affects their perception of the sequels if they've been graphically upgraded and have gameplay in a, a really like point. you know stuff retroactively changed how does that change their perception of the sequel? Do they mm-hmm. think that, okay, well, this isn't as big a step up now because I've just played something that has had the bones of that mm-hmm. retroactively inserted? It, it's just, it, it's, uh, I'm it's not a, there the, for it. There's yeah. a weird thing as well because it, I don't. I'm, I like. I obviously, there's the the big leap between generations, the big leap between consoles, and we grew up with some of the biggest leaps between console generations. But at the same time, having um, like the Spider-Man collection, Spidey, Miles Morales, and Spidey Two. Like obviously, Spidey Two is a big leap up. But for The Last of Us Part One, last year's version, the upgraded version, that sits quite nicely next to a Part Two, and you can sort of play them all in one go or something, and it all sits nicely together in a way that um, you can argue maybe playing Metal Gear Solid One and then going through PS2 and um, the PS3 and then finally finish on Metal Gear Solid 4, there's a huge breadth and quality there, graphical quality. 
um, that I personally don't care about. I love all those versions, but I wonder, I wonder what people respond to and whether people want that like mm-hmm. remastered collection version of something. Like when you get a box set and everything's 4K Blu-ray or whatever, yeah. and it's just there all in one package. It's interesting the thought processes and decisions that are going into this. I agree with you. I'd be mm. very interested to interrogate what the metho- methodology is here. Filthy because casuals. Because it seems as if, you know, in the case of like a Last of Us, you know, part two remaster, remake, whatever you want to call it, like, <laughs> Again, that feels to me like you, you, you're doing that out of obligation now because you remade part one and there are mm-hmm. certain things that you did in part one that you think, okay, well, part two is the sequel. It should be just as good mm-hmm. as that and then have all the different bells and whistles on top of it. It's the same with like um, Spider-Man where they changed, you know, the voice, the, the facial model for Peter Parker mm-hmm. and then they end up, ended up remastering that for Spider-Man Miles Morales because obviously the PlayStation 5 was coming out as well with like mm-hmm. the different face, but it still looked good. So yeah, it's weird. I think it, <laughs> the more we do this and the more we blur the lines between like games go and letting them have their moment in history mm. and applying those lessons to a fresh experience. I, I love, one of my favorite things to do is go back to an old game. I love and some of that comes from just knowing the history of gaming. Like I pick up an old N64 cartridge I can still be blown away um, playing something in, like when I played Mario 64 for the first time when I was 30 um, like a few years ago, I was still like, oh my god this would have been incredible in 1996. This is still incredible for, 19, like, for the late 90s and everything. I don't have any problem having that mindset, but I'm curious, like, um, because there's so much about gaming gets wrapped up in the tech conversation about just saying that, well, you don't want to go back to old tech, so let's just make sure everything keeps up, um, versus being okay with old games. Like, I love old games. Like, it's, you know, I like play the the Atari 50 collection and things like that. So, um, yeah, I think that's one of the things where the market's trying to influence or trying to say, like, how much can we charge you again for this new lick of pain? The, the issue for me, it's like, it's about availability, isn't mm. it? Like, I think people would maybe care less about getting the shiny new thing if they were able to just access the older games mm. on, on there on their different console libraries mm-hmm. um it's there's no there's no easy solution to this i think again it just comes down to the fact that we hope that these remasters and in looking to the past you know studios aren't neglecting their resources to go to the you know because we're already waiting so long for fresh experiences now yeah game dev times are spiraling you know costs are spiraling mm-hmm. um you would hope that going back and looking at these, revisiting these older things isn't as much of a time and resource sink mm-hmm. um, just solely because we want we want the new thing. Well, yeah, and it's just like something like Naughty Dog or someone like Naughty Dog, you compare their output across the, the 2000s ND. to now. <laughs> yeah, big old ND, uh, <laughs> Neil Druckmann's team themselves. Um, you know, they had such, you can contrast that so much. We talked about it in the office before we were recording about like the state of old Rockstar and how many projects they had out. Um, and speaking of The Last of Us, um, the other thing we were going to talk about is that The Last of Us factions, the separate multiplayer mode, um, which has been talked about. It was at the Game Awards last year. Um, it's been shown off a hell of a lot. Um, according to a Kotaku report, is basically on ice at this point. Um, this is, comes after a whole bunch of layoffs. Every day we've been looking at the gaming news, there's been another team hit with layoffs, um, including uh, various contractors that were working for Naughty Dog. Um, and so that's affected the general sort of development of this faction's multiplayer thing. Um, and Kotaku said that it's not completely cancelled, um, but it is basically on ice um, because Sony overall are re- seem to be recalibrating their whole how much they're going into live service stuff, which to me me is the Jim Ryan thing. It was him going, this is the future, this is, you know, let's green light foam stars and um, fair games and let's have Bungie make live service stuff for everyone, um, mobile games, everything else. I don't think that's the way at all. I think Jim Ryan's now sipped the tea and is now leaving <laughs> and we all have to figure this stuff out. See, as much as I agree with you there, I do think PlayStation is really lacking a flagship multiplayer title that is thoroughly mm. PlayStation. Like, as much as Xbox has screwed the pooch with Halo... And it's I really get, good now. I don't know what the current state <laughs> of like Gears of War is either. Uh. PlayStation has been trying for so long to have a premier 
first person or third person, whatever, multiplayer game. Yeah. The Last of Us Factions, given that multiplayer, you know, it was kind of like cult beloved. You oh know, yeah, from, I love the Last of Us multiplayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of up there with the Max Payne 3 multiplayer for me in terms of like, oh, this is a very unique twist oh, okay. on like third person kind of, you know, multiplayer shooters. It's stylistic, it's its own thing. Mm-hmm. That's great. Um, and the fact that it didn't come with Last of Us Part 2 obviously doesn't take away from how great that game is, but it's a case of like, I totally agree with you. Mm. The live service obsession, I'm happy for this to finally go away. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, if we're talking about PlayStation and, and it's real, you know, Call of Duty and all the stuff, the conversations about there, it's like, all right, Xbox having Call of Duty is going to massively impede us in the market. And again, mm. totally agree. Biggest gaming franchise on the planet. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing to stop PlayStation from shoring up its its own its own defenses mm-hmm. and basically going, well, let's make a premium, competitive, enjoyable first or third person shooter that 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 is thoroughly us and it's PlayStation mm-hmm. 2AT. Putting this on ice, I know Kotaku said that it's not been cancelled. Usually when something goes on ice, I feel like it's a very, that's basically <laughs> like a code. That's like me waiting on Mindhunter season three. Right. Like, oh, you know, it's not been cancelled. And then like for two years after that, they were like, okay, we've released the actors from their contracts or whatever. It's not happening. <laughs> it was like when Mass Effect was on ice after Andromeda. And that's finally, you know, we had the announcement of the new Mass Effect. Believe it when I see it. By the way, we're also hit by layoffs. Like, like I said, it's industry-wide at the minute. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a general thing of like how much, do, how many of these projects go forward. Um, and I yeah, massively agree. Me and Josh have talked about that loads on the podcast about how Sony just don't have a dedicated first-person shooter or a dedicated third-person shooter. They Remember only have Killzone. <laughs> that's the thing. They they, they occasionally reinvest or invest in in Killzone. The last one being Shadowfall. Um, and I I never was a huge Killzone fan. Like Halo did murder it. However. Killzone had good multiplayer modes. Like, Killzone had, and no one's ever done this, and I mention it loads, because it was so cool. In Killzone 2, they had a thing where the uh, game objective would change every sort of five minutes. So you went into a deathmatch, and every fight it would be like, okay, now flags are spawning, it's capture the flag. Everyone's now in teams, right? Siphon off, do that. Okay, we've changed, now we need to defend this place. Why not hybridize that stuff together? Make it free to play if you need to, but get people to play it. Give it away with PlayStation Plus if you want. Like, get excited, have new cool modes, ways to play. I think the frustrating thing here is that, obviously, the, you know, I I grew up with Xbox, so I never played any of the Killzone games. I've never got a PlayStation oh, really? okay. and played the was it Shadowfall? Shadowfall was yeah, the I, launch I never, one. I never played that yeah. either. The issue here, I think, is like you know, we talk about like Xbox mourning the last iteration of of, of you know being like, oh, we we screwed the pooch so bad with Xbox One, no one wants to buy an Xbox <laughs> anymore. We can't possibly, keep possibly up. compete. Uh-huh. You know, PlayStation for me with multiplayer games specifically, it feels like they're in a similar mindset and rut because during the Xbox 360, PlayStation 3 generation, Xbox not only had a greater variety of multiplayer games, mm. the Xbox Live functionality worked and was so much better than the PlayStation Network. And oh, yeah, the PlayStation yeah. Network had that awful hack. You know, it completely tarnished Sony's reputation for a mm. long time. But that doesn't mean that they shouldn't be reinvesting in that space. And it's, it's kind of weird that they've let it let it languish and have been happy to basically been like, well, we'll get exclusive deals with Call of Duty. You know, it's not the same, it's not a substitute. No, and it's, I'm curious, it's, I flagged this years ago, but it is interesting seeing more people realize this, that they've stuck, to, The Last of Us was a huge deal, 2013. Pretty much all of the Sony First Party is a, is a Last of Us style template. Um, whether that be um, like a, a ranged bow and arrow character or just in terms of let's give the character a younger, either a... A, a, um, a child or whatever, like some sort of younger companion. Let's Last of Us these projects, and everything plays pretty much the same. Um, gameplay wise, Aloy is Jin Sakai, is Ellie. Like they all are bow, range, range bow characters, same as Atreus. Um, and it's things like that that I think people are starting to realize. Like we talked about the Ubisoft formula for so long, there was a Sony formula, and people are getting a bit sick of it. And I think the genre um, variety just isn't there. Um, the last first party, first person shooter. 
um, you know, that wasn't Kills on Shadowfall is pretty much the VR stuff. It's like the um, fire team or whatever. They just really just don't put any money into that stuff. Um, but yeah, I don't know if Killzone has enough um, recognition to try again. It's not what I would want them to do. I think you just make something new. I think you've got what, Marathon, what, I guess. Well, yeah, you have Marathon, but yeah, you have Bungie. You have literally the most influential first-person shooter studio, <laughs> arguably of all time. Let's do an extraction like, shooter. Like, yeah, you know, but like they they should be able to do something that is like big. I think the issue here maybe, and the thing that set a lot of people's you know, alarm bells ringing if you're, you know, a head up, a head honcho at PlayStation mm. or Xbox, is that even the quote unquote ostensibly bedded in shooter success stories of the last five years, a lot of them have kind of, you know, Overwatch 2 is like a really big example. Like that should have been the biggest, easiest home run ever. Yeah. And it was one of the greatest bag fumblings of all time. <laughs> so maybe they're looking at that and going, well, maybe there's not longevity in there anymore, which again, I think is a shame. I think there is clearly still space in multiplayer games and multiplayer shooters. I just think that, and this is what really frustrates me about this being put on ice is that it's clearly a unique niche within that mm. genre. Mm -hmm. And to walk away from it, that that does frustrate me. Yeah, it's just, I think oh, the, the the next sort of half a year is going to be really interesting, or maybe the next year or so is going to be really interesting because we are coming up on three years of the new consoles being out. Oh, um, and, <laughs> and me and you and uh, What Culture main channels own Adam Strong are going to be doing a conversation just on the state of the industry, what we want from the industry, what we think about the consoles so far, etc. That'll be going out on Wednesday. Um, but it is one of those things where you look at the likes of Jim Ryan, who you know, has overseen those years, um, and where they want to be for the the you know it could be a six year console cycle it might end up being an eight year one or whatever but we're about halfway through and it's like that idea of how many of those ideas or those project ideas go forward and those wider money making things um do they stick or does you know do we get a return to the um the creative sort of mindset that allowed them to get here in the first place across the 2010s um next news item down is that xbox's acquisition of activision blizzard is expected to close on october 13th and um, we're coming up on almost two years since this thing was first mentioned two years uh, of discourse <laughs> never getting those years back really. you never get the back. Um, this is um, the thing is, even as I mentioned that the CMA are still yet to um, file their final verdict. It just it's just that it seems like it's going to be going through. Um, so there's a lot of back and forth. You mentioned Jim Ryan quite a lot as one of the the heads of Sony uh, PlayStation. Sorry, he's um, was instrumental in in fighting this thing off. Like literally saying behind closed doors that he just wanted to stop the deal, just wanted to block it, didn't want it to go through whatsoever. Um, and it's just a talking point. It's just one of those things that is in theory coming to an end. And then it'll be very curious what Xbox looks like. What Game Pass looks like, um, because you have Phil Spencer saying that if they don't make enough money from Game Pass by 2027, he'll safely say they can leave the industry. So it's like this is kind of it, like which is kind of ridiculous. It's absolutely wild to me that they are having that kind of conversation out in the open. Yeah, like again, not to. Be I think that was in the leak. I yeah. think that was in the, well, the courtroom okay, yeah, leak. But like it's it's one of those document. where I'm just like. How are things this bad for Xbox? <laughs> like, I don't, I, I'm genuinely struggling to wrap my head around it. Mm -hmm. And obviously there's, you know, like Call of Duty, we think is going to be printing money for, for years to come. In theory. In theory. Modern Warfare 3 looks really bad. But yeah, that's this is what I mean. It's like, it's still going to be like a big, it's just, I, I, I do, I do worry. I don't know if you have enough people who, because the vast majority of Call of Duty's player base is on PlayStation. Yes. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This podcast is brought to you by Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it just makes hiring all in one place so easy because you just get unparalleled access to job seekers. Plus, listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash WCG. Just go to Indeed.com slash WCG right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash WCG. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. By the time that deal runs out, how many games did they say that they're going to give on PlayStation? Was it the next it was 10 a, years uh, or something? Yeah, 10 years was a time period. It was, I think it was 10 years. So we don't even know. So they've, banked, <laughs> so they've got an Activision. Yep. And Phil Spencer has allegedly said privately that if, if Game Pass isn't a thing that's working, you know, really delivering for us by 2027, they may be like, okay, well, see you later. That's it. They've got games in development that we don't like, they're going <laughs> to release after that. How this is clearly a long term acquisition that they are banking a lot on. Yes. And yet the stakes, and they're not going to see the fruits of that change for years. I don't even know if Phil Spencer will see that stuff. I mean, like the Xbox brand in 2013, like after all the Xbox One stuff, um, went so sideways. There was all the conversations which Spencer's talked about how the Microsoft were done with the Xbox brand and it was this whole conversation internally to fight for it to <clears throat> keep going. Um, and then it's it's just kind of fascinating because if you dial it back like 15, 20 years, um, you know, things like the Xbox Live Marketplace weren't a thing. Xbox Live Gaming wasn't a thing. And the idea of consoles being online and having multiplayer, that was a PC thing. And everyone was like, oh my God, you can't do that on consoles. And then Halo 2 did it and et cetera. And so like, is this the next big thing or is it not? We did a chatty faces on this um, that you can see some of our responses to. But it's just that now that this is going to be finalized, that's really going to be fascinating to see how it all plays out because they've, they've bought the library is that enough? I think there's a, a different um, nuance to that conversation that is that they still don't have Xbox games. Um, you'll have to de facto buy an Xbox to play Call of Duty or play Doom or Elder Scrolls or Fallout, but will you be happy about it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. These, these want to do any of that? These, these are all long-term bets. And again, mm-hmm. it's it's almost like you. we talked a little bit before about the multiplayer dynamic with PlayStation. It almost feels like these moves, apart from Call of Duty, which you, you know, obviously back in the... Uh, I, 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 
and that might be a complete wrong guess mm. in my heart, but I think maybe when it was Xbox, the Xbox 360 era, arguably you'd maybe have more Call of Duty players on Xbox than you would have had on PlayStation. Probably back then, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. So again, it just feels kind of like you're, you're banking on this and yet the multiplayer side is still kind of languishing and being held over in like these third party spaces. It's just, it, <laughs> it's one of those where I'm like, okay, you're, this is chaos. Yeah. This is just complete chaos. You're doing this because you're desperate. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to wait for the long-term results of this because you've agreed to this. We're going to keep Call of Duty on PlayStation thing, mm-hmm. which if I was Xbox, I wouldn't. No. Because it's, you know, whatever PR hit you take, you're banking on people coming to you because you have that in your locker. There's also it's, no reason, to, there's no way <clears throat> that you spend $70 billion no. to not lock everything down. And they have done that with Elder Scrolls after dancing around it's, it for ages. The longer this happens, the longer this goes on, the longer it takes them to um, capitalize on these IPs that they've invested mm. in, the more people who own a PlayStation, like me, mm-hmm. will be like, well, I've done without Elder Scrolls for this amount of time. I've done yeah. without Call of Duty for this amount of time. Mm-hmm. You know, people maybe, you know, depending on how, how invested you are or whatever, the longer that that goes on for, the less inclined they're going to be to get an Xbox, yeah. I kind of feel. Especially when PlayStation, in and amongst that time, will still be pumping out you know, quality first-party games, which mm-hmm. Xbox is still desperate for. No, we're still waiting for the... Um, I mean, th- that was all kind of renewed when Starfield came around. I forget the name of the person who was inside Xbox who said, okay, this is the the, the starting pistol for the Xbox generation. Is okay, three years in, I'm glad you've got something. But like they... Because originally the, the plan with Game Pass was have multiple... It was like two first-party exclusives every year that would be on Game Pass, would launch on Game Pass day one, and obviously they couldn't hit that. Um, and so now it was like, this is the starting pistol. We have all these games ready to go. Um, and assumedly from next year onwards, it'll be this robust rollout of everything. However, in the leaks that um, came from the various emails between Phil Spencer and the other members of um, Xbox and Microsoft, it was him saying, what do we actually have? What's actually ready to go? <clears throat> and they didn't know the state of Redfall until it was out. Like, it's ludicrous. I mean, I think because of that, there'll be way more hands-on going forward. But just, I find all of it just fascinating. Like, it's uh, the amount of moves that are being made and the amount of money riding on those moves when the reality of the gaming industry to this point has been just make the games. And it's now we're in this um, period that is all about um, different services, whether they be live services, whether they be monthly rollouts, whether they be streaming services, all different ways to sort of segment the core of why we're all here in the first place. It's just, like I said, I think it's fascinating, but I think we'll find out, well, we will find out across the next few years who's left standing in the end. If it's just been Nintendo and another Mario. (laughs) Just in an empty field in the rain. Um, So we'll see what happens with that. I mentioned uh, Redfall before, just a quick note with that, that that game has been overhauled. Um, It seems like it was released a bit too early and it seems like the game has finally been finished. The version of it that's available now um, has added things like stealth kills and better XP systems and workable physics and a workable frame rate, etc. So it's a quick flag for that. If you're an Xbox fan, Redfall apparently is far more worth playing for all you Redfall heads out yeah, there. Yeah, all you red red or deaders out there. But still, um, alongside that is the fact that um, it also hit the news that Redfall had less than four active players because they couldn't get a single match going. That you need Oh, four, you don't four, want to see that! <laughs> four people trying to match together to take on the various uh, vampire hordes and everything, and apparently they couldn't even get four people together. That might change with the patch, um, but I guess we'll see. At the same time, I don't think Redfall is it. I know they had to get out there and commit to like we're fixing it, but I, I don't think Redfall is the one. I don't chaps. think it's the. One. <laughs> I don't think it's the way at all. Oh, this but is bullying. Yeah, we're bullying the corp. The the. It's like it's like you know in the Power Rangers movie where Zordon is like completely laid out and sure. he's on his bed and he's like Rangers, I'm dying. <laughs> 
That's just the red fall. We're IP. just walking into that scene and going, ha ha. The thing Zordon. that's ludicrous is that this has largely cost Arcane Arcane. Like the um, the team that made Dishonored and Prey and um, you know got them to this point, nearly all of those key devs and key staff and key creative minds left during the development of Redfall and the release of Redfall because it was so mishandled. You can go and read about the reality of the fact that they couldn't decide what that game was supposed to be. Then they were chasing all these live service elements um, and still trying to maintain the core of Arcane, etc. But the version that we got, I mean, maybe it's way better now, but at the same time, um, it has cost Arcane its lifeblood. Like it's like Bioware, like they're just not the same studio anymore. And so that's going to kind of be an interesting thing to monitor as well, is that now that Arcane have been acquired and they have Game Pass and they have all these sort of um, easier release cycles in theory, make whatever you want, but they don't have the teams anymore. Here's a prediction for Go you. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> this will be the most depressing thing I've ever said in a podcast. Okay. Arcane, three years from now, Call of Duty support studio. Oh, they'll go the way of Raven. Raven. Yeah. But, uh, uh, High Moon. <sighs> Add it to the Call of Duty graveyard. Oh my god! Fifty thousand studios used to be here. <laughs> <laughs> no, just just looking at that's such a good Game Pass meme. Fifty thousand studios used to be on this. Now it's Call of Duty. <laughs> yeah, I mean that could be the way. Uh, I'm curious to see how this year's COD lands because I've seen general conversations around that being like this is a turning point for the IP. This is the first time that they've sold literally DLC as a full price installment, full main installment. Um, and are, is the market going to respond to that? Is the market going to, is it going to... Just, just on a purely casual level, I know I have friends who are looking forward to that game. And mm. we've, like, I know we've had conversations where I've been like, you do know that it's it, a lot of it, like the story of the development and stuff. I mm -hmm. think they're banking on the fact that because the, the leap between Call of Duty games, and again, like what those games are, you know, Take everyone has their opinions yes. on them. The leaps between them are never that stark. I think they're banking on that mm. because most people who get Call of Duty, they aren't as engaged as everyone who's you know anyone who's listening to this podcast. Oh no, they'll realize way too just, late. They'll just they'll, they'll be. I don't even think a lot of people will notice. I think it's mm. one of those things where it's like you are a casual gamer. You own a PlayStation Five or an Xbox One or whatever. Not a PC because PC people are way more tuned in and whatever. <laughs> and your one or two game each year is like the new FIFA or in this case EA Sports or Call of Duty mm -hmm. or the new Assassin's Creed or whatever. And you aren't that switched on with the conversations mm -hmm. and everything. And they'll get it. They'll get annoyed by it in two months time, then go back to it, then hate it again. <laughs> and they'll go, I'm not going to buy the new Call of Duty or EA Sports FC game. And then they will. And around and around we go. Yes. I'm curious with, um, with Modern Warfare 3, the new Modern Warfare 3, what we do after this, because because the, the thing is, like, I feel like modern warfare. That's the thing. It's like, do you do you go back it because you <laughs> you appreciate that pun back ball. around? <laughs> they because um, they ended up doing. It's already been mentioned that they're doing Black Ops next. They're rebooting the Black Ops stuff because that came after Modern Warfare in the previous timeline we just finished 10, 15 years ago. Um, and so it's one of those things where is that just all we do now? Like you have Modern Warfare, you have Black Ops, and you have the whatever they want to call the boots on the ground stuff, which also has, also has a different name. Yeah. Um, but I remember I'm going back like six years when they were talking about doing the Call of Duty movies and they never came together. Is that Michael Bay going to be? I know it was... Maybe. Bay was involved in the Ghost Recon one, I think. Maybe. I think so. Yeah. There was there was mention of a Call of Duty movie around about 2016, 2017. Um, and at the time, it was all just rumory stuff, but it was like, oh, they might do multiple timeline stuff. You would do a World War style one or an old school one. You would do a future one. You do whatever. And you have storylines and things like that that go across multiple timelines or multiple bloodlines across those time periods. And I was like, that's kind of cool if you're going to bring it all together. This is during the MCU when we thought shared universes were like the thing. Could have been cool. 
Um, but at the same time, because they've now exhausted the Modern Warfare name so fast, like we've won from Modern Warfare 2 straight into Modern Warfare 3, I'm just curious what the hell you do, um, unless you just do Black Ops again, and then we get back into Future Warfare again, and then we go back to Modern Warfare again. It's, it's a weird cycle, isn't it? Because they did try to break away from it with Call of Duty World War II, mm-hmm. which, and obviously Vanguard was World War II set as well, but those games had their own narrative and stylistic issues that really prevented them from kind of yeah. like linking into everything. Mm-hmm. You know, Call of Duty has its mascots. Like people know who Captain Price is. People mm-hmm. care about Ghost. Even that though skull guy? he is the most obvious glup of like the <laughs> Call of Duty universe or whatever. <laughs> and then you have um, like uh, Reznov mm-hmm. and like, uh, you know, it's, so they have their characters and they'll go back and revisit them. But I still think that like, from what I've played recently, I've, I've, I've not been religiously looking at each Call of Duty. I played mm. the 2019 Modern Warfare. Yep, phenomenal I game. picked up Cold War when it was free nah. the other month. I play all um, of them, but I think the last time that blew me away was 2019. And I just think that I've played them all now. Mm. I don't. I, I mean, setting-wise, you know, people have been fighting with guns for several <laughs> centuries now. But if you were going to maintain that, there are loads of places they could, they could go. Mm-hmm. I just think that, like, that series is never going to be invented enough to be like, okay, well, let's go for I don't know. It's it's a weird one. I look at this, I'm like, you're just rehashing the greatest hits again, like you Well, said. I think um, the other, the flip side to how sort of threadbare this year's version is, is that it's essentially like an asset dump whilst everything changes. Like there's all the, like I said, we mentioned all the Activision acquisition stuff. We mentioned the idea of, um, you know, Xbox taking over. There has been talk of, and from Phil Spencer, of relaxing the turnaround, not having a game every year, doing something every two or three years or whatever it is um, to make, make it more healthy. It's also completely deranged on his behalf Think so? because like you've you all from a game making perspective mm. yes it makes sense but if you're saying as xbox that we don't know if we're going to be here in several years time <laughs> and again you're making use of call of duty which is an annualized thing there is there is an entire studio framework mm. built to pumping those things out every year and they continue to make money you are yet leaving more money i i think there is you know, there is something to be said about, obviously, I think a lot of people be like, okay, Call of Duty can relax its tongue. We can get maybe mm. a more fleshed out, better in-depth experience. I think that would be what I would want. And that's what a lot of people would want. Mm-hmm. At the same time, business-wise, that is a completely daft thing. See, I think the, the, it'll be middle ground. I think they'll do, yeah, Modern Warfare 3 this year. Obviously, we know that's coming, whatever. Um, I think once Xbox takes over, it might take a year. However long it takes to get it in place, Call of Duty will be a, a Game Pass free-to-play title. It'll be a Game Pass thing. Yeah, they just called Call of Duty. Yeah, because Call of Duty Mobile was just a just a separate one. There's a version of Call of Duty you can play in China, which is its own version as well. Like I think you'll get just a version that's on Game Pass that's just called Call of Duty, and it'll kind of have that main menu of just executables where you just pick what you want to install, mm-hmm. uh, maybe different eras of multiplayer maps, things like that. Um, that that ticks over, and you plug microtransactions into that and that ties them over they would do really well out of getting yeah. a master chief style collection going for call of duty mm-hmm. like go back to the classics because like obviously people when, when they remastered modern warfare loads of people were playing that yeah, like, yeah. like you know it, like it makes sense to, to to do that and leverage the that would that would be a smart use of the ip you're bringing slim together under one space that people want to play mm-hmm. you know people would go bananas that for the chance to play call of duty world at war again well you it was like I mean? the um when black ops 2 got added to the backwards compatibility and it showed back up in the uk yeah. launch 
charts cool like that favorite week. game yeah yeah like yeah. great game and it's like they have they have way more to pull from in terms of actual goodwill um but yeah like you said it's, it's about making those games accessible whether they segment the campaign they got so much work to try and do on the engine front um i don't know if you even get a version of cold duty that is as a platform um, then gives you access to various eras of COD that then have different game engines because 2019 onwards has been completely different um, to before then. But yeah, either way, they've got a mountain of stuff to figure out in terms of maximizing the value of what they've spent 70 billion on. And they are up against the fact that they've only got four years left, apparently, to figure it out. Three in a bit now, so we'll see. <laughs> I need more time, Arthur. <laughs> need more franchises, Arthur. Um, so we'll see. Um, last thing is the Nintendo Switch 2 being leaked for September 2024. Um, now this comes after the console was apparently shown behind closed doors at Gamescom 2023, um, which is only like last month or so when we're recording this. Um, and this comes from Soldier Delta over on Discord, who apparently was responsible for leaking various bits of information for Rise of the Ronin, which is an upcoming game for PlayStation. Um, and so they've started talking about the um, the new Nintendo Switch. Um, on Nintendo Switches, apparently there's going to be two versions of it. Um, one is digital only, one still supports the cartridges, or it's going to be physical. Um, and it's going to be launching for $400 for the digital version, 450 or $449 for the physical one. Um, new features include AR uh, technology, also reality technology, so I don't know if it reads stuff in front of you or whatever. The Nintendo 3DS had that. Um, and apparently it's not going to have an OLED screen, which is interesting because that was the one only thing that got added to the Nintendo Switch over its life cycle. Um, which, another thing as well is the fact that if they're committing to a digital-only version, a digital-only skew, I wonder how much that affects their backwards compatibility stuff. Because I think they'll just sell you all the stuff that you had before oh, again anyway. Yeah. Apparently um, that behind closed doors demo um, uh, was a version of Breath of the Wild running on new tech. And so I wonder if they would just sell you that and do the Sony thing. <laughs> Be like, it's Breath of the Wild 2, part yeah. one. I mean, I guess I can see why a digital storefront makes more sense for Nintendo than necessarily it does for PlayStation mm -hmm. or Xbox. Because it's like, they're so... So much of why you get Nintendo consoles because you want to play Nintendo games. Yeah. Obviously, the big thing with the Switch is that we had way more third-party stuff come on there. I mean, that price point seems pretty reasonable. It's very me. competitive, yeah. Um, and especially, you know, given I've, I've I've not been keeping up on the specifics of like the spec rumors and stuff, but it's going to be a beefier machine, right? You're going to be yeah, left yeah. with less Mortal Kombat One ports. Hopefully, <laughs> they need to get that f away from that stuff. Um, yeah, the current rumors are that it'll be able to keep up with the PS5 and the Series X. However, the way that they're doing that apparently will be more through the likes of uh, DLSS, which is deep learning super sampling, where there'll be things done on the software side um, to upscale games and, and things like that, rather than the guts of the system doing it, um, which is really interesting because there's so much being done with DLSS and with um, ways around you know um, the guts of a system, like trying to keep the Series S on par with the Series X is already part of that anyway. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Nintendo, for me, like, they don't need this. The only reason that they need the extra power is for the third-party stuff. So I'd be curious about their sales charts, how much third-party releases are actually contributing to their bottom line when they have such an insane rollout of first-party. That's really interesting, though, because I think... For as someone who isn't a big Nintendo person, I like Donkey Kong, but it's not going to yeah, be enough to move me to get a Nintendo Switch or whatever. What like, if it was I've an open world Donkey like, Kong? I mean, they're I, doing that next. I'm, I mean, with the Donkey Kong cinematic universe is possible. All of them together. DKU. Um, but at the same time, I'm like, well, maybe if it is like it's on a fundamental level, even if it was with, with the DLSS like technology, yeah. or whatever. If this thing can keep pace with the beefier boys. Mm -hmm. 
and you've already got that amazing Nintendo first-party library. You've got the portable aspect to it as well. Mm-hmm. That's a seriously killer piece of hardware. Oh, yeah. yeah, and, yeah. and that has me more interested to potentially invest in it than I would. I don't think it'll ever be that case. I think if I was to get Nintendo Switch, I'd probably just get the basic one because it would mm. be to play those Nintendo games, even though, I'm, again, I'm not like massively invested in doing it. <laughs> but I think, that's a, I think that's a clever move. If they move into that space... I think you stand an interesting idea because again, that's a cheaper entry point than either PlayStation or Xbox can provide. Yeah, um, I think the Series S would still be cheaper than Series S is still cheaper. But, yeah. but again, like you have the portable aspect to it and the Nintendo first party stuff on top of that, which is way more compelling a selection than what Xbox has. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think that is a very exciting like rumor. I think that's interesting. I'm so curious, yeah, how it all shakes out because like. If they, if they, let's say this is all true and they have like a beefier version of the Switch because it's mainly to support third-party stuff, it still, in theory, doesn't have the SSD. It doesn't have the things that will be fundamentally built for an SSD to remove loading times altogether like we do have on the PS5, the Series X, um, and, and depending on how it's coded, the Series S. I don't know if they can do something that keeps up on that front. Does that then mean, in a wider sense, that third-party devs are kind of hampered by having to have a Switch version that then mean, limits whatever the scope is or limits whatever the project idea is from the very beginning to try and support all three systems? That's that's my wider thing that I've had most of this generation anyway, because we're still making stuff that works on the Switch. Um, and it was always that conversation, is it the Series S or is it the Switch that's holding back third-party development? Um, and that'll potentially just continue <laughs> into the future. Um, but yeah, it is interesting. It's also one of those things where on the first-party front, like I said, Nintendo have never been a, a horsepower dev. Um, like the GameCube was more powerful than the PS2, but you would never really know it. They didn't really do that much to show it off what that thing can do, even though Sunshine was gorgeous at the time. But yeah, I'm just I'm curious what you do that has Nintendo whap it out on the table next to the likes of the Uncharted and everything. And the Last of Us is of the world when they're competing, you know, they have Metroid, Star Fox. I'm trying to think of things that would be like bigger scope mm. games, like do a big Star Wars sized Star, Star Fox game. Oh, damn. Maybe that works. I don't know. I don't know how they make use of a heftier system. Yeah. Like they've never really made that, that their bread and butter. That excites me more. Mm. I think I, again, like I think Nintendo <clears throat> would be perfect. Again, like I, like you said before, it'd be interesting to see the actual like uh, the statistics of how much the third par- party stuff is has had an impact on the Switch's you know sales. Have they done mm-hmm. any research into that? Um, that'd be interesting because they're so it, buttoned up with their sales yeah, numbers. Like again, like a first party, like proper Nintendo beefy looking game. Mm-hmm. That would be cool because yep. obviously people of Tears the Kingdom of Breath of the Wild, and there's the whole thing to you know preserve those unique art styles and stuff. But it would be interesting to see like what does an Nintendo, what does an obscene like double bacon <laughs> cheese XL from Nintendo look like as opposed <laughs> to like what a PlayStation 1 does. You know? well, one of the things as well, which is a really interesting insight into uh, their development cycles, especially when so much of the rest of the industry is struggling, is that with Super Mario Wonder, they internally said, take as much time as you want. It's Mario. It's always going to sell. Take as much time as you want. Polish it up. Do whatever gameplay ideas you've got, and we'll put it out when it's ready. Um, and obviously, Wonder's coming out, uh, I think it's on the same day as Spider-Man 2. And that game looks insane. Like, there's so many different parts of that that look really inventive. I mean, it just looks like Mario getting off his face. Like, everyone's just high. <laughs> like, the pipes. Mario! You can ride them and everything. Um, so there's a lot to that game that looks ridiculous, but I'm curious how much that approach to de- development carries across Nintendo. I think some of that is still, um, you know, because it's shepherded by Sh- um, Shigeru Miyamoto, who's still there. Um, and it's like one of those other things, which is another, another part of Nintendo, which is in the next sort of 10, 20, 30 years, um, those executives are going to step down. The people who've been there since the very beginning, who have been able to shepherd oh, that, oh, that's a scary you know, thought. creativity first mentality that no other first party company has. Um, and it's um, obviously Satoru Water was a, a, a huge miss when he passed away. Um, yeah, and I'm just I'm curious what Nintendo looks like when they move off. 
And then do you, you know, do you then chase the same third party stuff and the same money grubby stuff that everybody else does? Not that Nintendo isn't money grubby as they are, but they tend to <laughs> they tend to nail the creative side when it matters as well. So it's a yeah. it's a hard balance. Um, but yeah, this has been the wind up. I've been Scott Tilford. That's been you and Patterson. That's <laughs> me winding down. down. And we'll get some food. But thank you very much for listening to us once again. Apologies for missing the podcast last week. And we love you all. Thank you so much for getting in touch. We'll catch you very soon. Goodbye. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.